does everybody have a Bible? And if you say no, do you have a phone? There's a Bible in the pew in front of you. If you were here the last time I preached, the words will not be on the screen, but the address for the verse will be. So be prepared. I got a message for you today, still in our Bible study series. Um, I got to tell you, this is kind of a four-part message that I probably could do over a month if I wanted to, or if God wanted to, I should say. Um, but instead, you guys are all going to buckle up and get it all today, so we'll see what happens. Uh, I want to start out by asking you guys a couple questions to get going. Has anybody here in this room ever received a sign from God? Okay, I'm going to collectively believe that a lot of you said yes. Um, good. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. Now I have another question. Have you ever felt like you couldn't do something? Okay. Have you ever felt like there was something that others told you that you could do, expected you to do, but you still just didn't think you could? Cool, 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 cool. Or switch that. Have you ever seen the potential in somebody else and they didn't think they could? Cool. All right, so far so good. So far so good. Now we're going to go one more little step further. Have you ever felt like God wanted you to do something and you just didn't think you could? Okay. Like I said, this is kind of a four-parter thing. There's four different things we're going to talk about. Four different people or four parts. You could be either in this where only one of the four applies to you or two of the four, or three of the four, or f all four of the four. Maybe it's part one and part four, part two and part three, part three and one. I don't know. It's Just be ready. Because we're going to learn three lessons today. Can I have my three lessons that we're, or four, sorry, it's four. I said it wrong. It's four lessons. I know, I just told you all. Our four lessons that we are going to learn today. When you think you can't do something which we talked about. Why you should use your weapon. We talked about this Bible study series is all about your weapon. And your weapon is your? Thank you. Next up, asking for a sign. Now, before you tune me out and you're like, hold on, the Bible says do not ask for a sign and just wait with me. And our next one, when it was God all along. Today we're going to be doing a lot of reading, so I hope you have your Bibles ready for that. Um, I'm going to give you a minute to turn there. Don't start reading yet. Don't jump ahead of me. But I'm going to give you a minute to turn there. We're going to be, actually, I'm going to let, I see a lot of people still writing that down or taking a picture of it, so I'm just going to keep talking while you guys are doing that so that you guys can get that down so that we're not switching to the next slide yet because I realize I see people writing that, and I'm glad you are. That's good. But we're going to be doing a lot of reading today, and I'm going to set up where we're reading. We're going to be in a specific chapter in the book of Judges. Now, Judges is a pretty wild book, and... You know, I don't know if a lot of people go to Judges on a regular basis. You know, you go to Genesis, there's some great stories. You go to Exodus to read about Moses. You go to the first and second Kings and Samuel to read about David. And then you go to the New Testament and you jump over there. You read about all these other things. But Judges was like the Wild West. So this is after the Israelites have come out of Egypt Okay, Moses has led them through the wilderness. 
And then Joshua came on the scene. They tore down the walls. They did all that awesome stuff. And now they've split up all of the territories. And so each tribe has their own piece of land in the promised land. They're there now. They made it. They're in the promised land. But it's like the Wild West. Because there's no government. There's no king. Their only laws were the laws of Moses. And we saw how well they obeyed those laws when they were all together in one place. Now they're spread apart all across the wilderness. And they already got what they wanted. So if they didn't follow those laws very well in the beginning, when they were all together and they had a leader, now you spread them apart, give them exactly what they wanted. You think they're going to be following those laws the same way? Here's the thing. So you can see, and we'll talk about it, but every single tribe was named after one of Israel's sons, except for two of the tribes were named after Joseph's sons, which we'll get into that maybe a little bit. Um, but there was no leader. But in the book of Judges, what you'll see is now and then God raised up a judge to rule over them, to lead them, to judge them. Now, usually what happened is this judge rescued them from something and then became their leader. This is where you get stories like Samson, Gideon, where the Israelites were in trouble. God raised up a leader. That leader saved them, and then he ruled over them. If you read through the book of Judges, it's time and time and time again where it'll say, and then Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they were handed over to their enemies, and then God raised up a new leader to save them from their enemies, and then he ruled over them for 40 years, and then Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he handed them over to their enemies, and then God raised up a new leader. It's basically, basically once they get into the promised land, that record's on skip just that whole time, whereas did evil, handed over to enemies, new leader, saved them. Did evil, handed over to their enemies, new ruler, saved them. Just, that's basically gone forward since. So today, you will see when we start reading, we're going to be in Judges chapter 6 to start out. So everybody knows you can turn to your Bibles, get your phone, get your Bible, whatever it is, we're going to be in Judges chapter 6 to start out today. My bad, I maybe didn't send that in the email, but we will be in Judges 6 to start. That will be after. <laughs> So I want you guys to turn to Judges 6 first in a minute. And I have a bookmark on it. We're going to be reading about Gideon today. And the very first sentence in this is literally what I just told you. Also, be ready, because this is not a very long sermon, but there's a lot of reading that we're going to do today. So if you don't like the way I read the Bible, I'm sorry. So I'm going to give you guys a minute to turn to Bibles, pull it up on your app, whatever it is you want to use, because it will not be behind me. And just so you know, we're going to read 1 to 32 to start. I know. Yeah, I saw a couple of wows when I said that. So if you like audiobooks, this is the week for you. <clears throat> Gideon won. Well, I'm sorry. I don't have a cool soundtrack, and I'm not James Earl Jones. Like, it's just me. And a lot of water. <clears throat> Gideon, chapter 1. Judges. Yep, sorry. It says Gideon right here. Judges 6, 1 is where we're starting. My Bible says Gideon real big. And I am in, I think, NLT, just so everybody knows. I'm pretty sure that's what this translation is. Oh, listen, I love them. Oh, you guys are the best. 
I'm trying to decide if I should like do a voice now, but I, I won't. I won't. I will be respectful. Yeah, yeah. The NLT one. If you use U version, there are different readers of the Bible, and one of my favorite versions. I hate the guy who reads it. I don't hate him. That's mean. I shouldn't say that. I don't like the way that guy reads the Bible, so I can't listen to it. So I listen to another version. I'm like, man, this guy's killing it. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel. Neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt. Out of the land of slavery, I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak tree in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Remember that. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went in, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour, he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of the Lord said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. With the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it stands in Ophrah of the Abizrites. That same night, the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning when the men of the town got up, there was Baal's altar, demolished, with the Asherah pole beside it, cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. 
The men of the town demanded of Joash, bring your son, he must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherable pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So that day they called Gideon Jerob Baal, saying, let Baal contend with him, because he broke down Baal's altar. Stop. That was a lot. We're about halfway. So there's a lot going on in that beginning. And because this is our Bible study series, guess what? We're going to break it down. Thank you. Break it down. Um, so I've heard this preached many different ways before. Um, I've heard Gideon says to the angel, I'm the weakest of my family. And my family is the weakest in my clan. And we are from the tribe of Manasseh. How am I the one who's supposed to do this? I'm going to flip that on its head just a little bit for you. Katie, do we have the map? Give me my map. That's Manasseh. It's pretty big, right? He's like, you know, we, I'm from Manasseh. All right, dude. You got like 50% of us. Now, sometimes you'll read through. So before anybody's like, wait, but hold on. Sometimes they're called the half tribe of Manasseh. You're right. Because they split up on either side of the river which is why they have both sides there. And they were told, one half of the tribe, to flush out those who were in the land, and they did not listen. But in the Bible, it tells you that part of the reason they split up and they have the other sides was because they were so numerous from this tribe. So, I'm going to first point out, they're from a big, big section. And it was a big tribe. Now, he says, my family is the weakest. Well, your daddy owned the altar to Baal. Your daddy owned the Asherah pole in the town. The landmark for your town was called the Great Tree, which was on your daddy's land. He had 10 of his own servants. Gideon. Now, he could have had more. It just said he took 10 of his servants with him. I'm going to venture to guess, and I don't have anything else to go on, other than the fact that the great tree belonged to Joash and was on his land, and that it was Joash's Asherah pole, and that Joash took care of the altar to Baal. Meaning, daddy was probably a leader in that town. Because everybody goes to him and says, your son destroyed this, but it was his to begin with. So, he probably was not the weakest in that town, in that tribe. But here's what happens. Fear messes with you. We read in the beginning of that, that it says the Israelites were hiding They were hiding in caves. Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, here's the deal. I'm going to give you a little bit. When you thresh wheat, it's supposed to be done out and in the open so that the wind can carry away part of the chaff. And when you're threshing that, that's the proper way to do it. He is down in a hole in the ground in a wine press inside threshing wheat because he's scared to death that his enemies are going to come and destroy it and take it from them. I liked to call this big fish in a big pond. Because when the angel of the Lord shows up, he says, you mighty man of valor. Gideon's like, who, me? 
What? Listen, man. I'm from Manassas. We're just a small family. We don't have anything. Please, dear God, not me. I'm weak. I can't do it. God's not lying to him. He calls him a mighty man of valor. But he was scared. Here's an illustration I'm going to give you. John, please don't kill me for this illustration. Okay? There's a quarterback who played for a top college, a D1 college, uh, one of the big programs in the country. He was from a big program, and he was the starting quarterback at this program. He wasn't a Heisman Trophy winner. He wasn't a national champion. And he got drafted towards the very, very end of the draft. Now, if he were Gideon, he wouldn't look at the fact that he came from a big college. He wouldn't look at the fact that he was a starting quarterback for years. And he would tell the team that drafted him, you, got, you let that guy take the reps. You know, I'll back him up for a couple years and do nothing. No, what this quarterback did was went to the owner of that team and said, I'm the best decision you've ever made. And I just heard John whisper, and he's 100% right, because that quarterback became Tom Brady, who came in and won seven Super Bowls. Am I right? I don't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, I don't like the guy because he's from Michigan, and I'm a Browns fan, so I'm not a Tom Brady fan. But his story's incredible because... He could have said, well, I'm from Michigan, you know, I'm not from USC, I'm not from Georgia, I'm just from Michigan, and I only, I didn't win the Heisman, I'm not a national champion. No, he said, I'm the best decision you have ever made. When he was an unheard of guy on the bench, down on the depth chart, told the owner, I'm the best decision you've ever made, and then came in that season and won the Super Bowl. But that's not what Gideon did. Because Gideon was afraid. He didn't think he could, or he didn't think he was the one to do this. And here's where we're going to talk about one of the first signs that Gideon asks for. He says, God, give me a sign to know that this is you. So when we talk about signs, and I mentioned there are points in the New Testament where it tells you, do not ask for a sign. The Pharisees, the Sadducees ask for a sign. You will see the sign of Jonah. That will be your sign. A lot of times you hear, don't ask for a sign. Don't do this. Well, you know what? Here's the reason he asked for a sign. Now, I'm not saying it's right or it's wrong. He didn't know God. It says in the beginning, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They were worshiping Baal. The Midianites were everywhere. When was the last time the Israelites had turned to God? At least seven years that we have in here. He didn't know God. He's asking him because Israel was not close to God at this time. Gideon even references the stories and the miracles of old. He says to him, you know, even my ancestors tell me about how the Lord rescued them. But I'll tell you, he may not have needed to ask for a sign. This is speculative. But if he knew God. If he was already walking with God, do you think he would have said, hey, God, I need to know this is you real quick? Or because he's already walking with God, would it be, yeah, I know that's God, and I know what I'm supposed to do? So that's the first sign that Gideon asks for, which is why it's important to use your weapon. Because when you use your weapon, you know God. And you're reading it. 
when you're praying it, you're going to know God. And you're not going to have to say, God, is this you? You're not going to have to ask, God, is that you telling me this? I don't know. I'm scared. Know him. I'm going to take another big drink because we're about to read some more. Judges 6. We're going to pick up where we left off. 33 to 40. Now, he just received the sign from God that that was God. And God told him, you will deliver the Israelites from the hands of the Midianites. And he tears down the altar of Baal. You got to first get rid of what is keeping you from God first. So we got to get rid of that first. And then he moves to here. Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizrites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, Zebulon, and Nephtali, so that they went up to meet them. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew or dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Stop there. This right here is where Gideon gets a bad rap. I've heard people preach on Gideon before and they're like, don't test God. Don't ask for a sign. Because right there, he just asked for two more signs. People say, well, he doubted who God was. He didn't know. No, he knew who God was back here. He knew who God was when he lit the altar on fire. Here, the sign he's asking for is direction, is guidance. If you read it, he doesn't say, God, if this is you, do the fleece. He says, God, if this is the direction I'm supposed to go, if you will save these people, show this to me. And he does it twice. Doesn't say exactly why he does it twice, but I'm a dude, and I know how dudes think. If that were me, I would see that fleece and be like, all right, God, do this. Ground dry, fleece wet. Whoa, he did it. That fleece could have soaked up that water, though. You know, fleece could have soaked it up. I know how. All right, God, hold on. Don't be mad, okay? I, I have to know for sure that this is the direction you want me to go. Do it again, but opposite. My, that wouldn't have done that. Okay, I know. I don't know if that's what that's in my mind because I put myself in the story and I try to be the character when I read it. That's what I would have done. Exactly. It's what we do. How many times have you known God will say, this is what I want you to do? Mm, you know, let me double check on that. He gets a bad rap. He gets a bad rap because they say he doubted God. He doubted who God was. No, he was asking for direction. And you know what? There are multiple stories of signs in the Bible. Thomas. Thomas gets a bad rap. We're called Doubting Thomas. And they're like, well, you know, Jesus says to him, blessed are those who did not have to see but believe. And all the other disciples are like, yeah, that's right. Well, you know what? Jesus legit appeared right in front of you. You got a bigger sign than Thomas did. And you're like, ah, he doubted. No, you guys had like the gigantic miracle right in front of your face. And nobody says to them, well, they doubted. 
Yeah, they were doubting. What are we going to do? We're up in the upper room, scared, terrified, because Jesus is dead. And he appears to them. Thomas is doing the same thing they were doing. They got a sign already. There's so many signs. Jesus did many miracles and signs and wonders. The apostles did signs and wonders. Moses, Elijah, Elisha, signs, wonders, miracles. And then it can be confusing because the Bible will say, don't test God. But then when it talks about tithing, it'll say, test God on this. So it's like, what do I do? Where do I do this? It can be, <laughs> yeah, it can be confusing. Here's the guidance I will give you. Jesus gave signs of his own volition to prove who he was. But when people asked for a dog and pony show, he didn't do it. The apostles, the prophets, they did signs to prove who God was and to show his glory. But same thing. They would not turn up and just do a dog and pony show. The only instance of that is when Elijah wanted to call down fire, which is a great story that we're not going to get into today. Uh, but he's just really mad and is like, God, let's do this. They weren't doing tricks for crowds. They were improving lives, healing, giving grace, showing glory back to God. When they were pressed for signs from religious leaders, they were, the leaders were then reprimanded. God does not want you to ask for a sign of who he is or does he love you or does he forgive you because he has already proven those. But I'm going to argue he does not condemn you when you ask for a sign for guidance and direction. Like Gideon did the second and third time and how many have done throughout the Bible. And here's the difference though. Like we said, Gideon didn't know God yet. He was just getting to know God. As an example of what Gideon did, more or less, if my wife says, will you go to the store? Yes. Now, if I go to Rally House and buy a new Cleveland Browns shirt and I come back, I went to the store. I did what she asked. What I should have done is, yeah, what store and what do you want me to get? God tells Gideon, through you, I will rescue Israel from the Midianites. Cool, 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 cool. God, I need you to tell me how we're going to do this. I need some information on how this is going to happen. I need to know you are with me as we do this. Because you said we're doing it, and I now know that this is you. How is this going to happen? Now, could you go home and ask God for a fleece situation right now, tonight? Maybe. Go for it. But I think what you should really ask for, God, give me the eyes to see the signs you're already giving. I asked at the beginning if anyone has ever had a sign from God. And it's funny me included, most of the time, I don't see it till afterwards. Most of the time, I don't see it and then realize, oh man, God was giving me signs that whole time. Sometimes you do see it though, and you notice it in the moment. I've had that many times where God is guiding me to go. In the story, Gideon was told what he was going to do. But he asked God to show him that this was the right thing, and this is the right direction, and this is where I'm going to go. So sometimes we need to stop and ask God to show us what his plan is, to reveal to us what we are supposed to do next, and give me eyes to see it. Now, there's a difference, and you do have to discern. And this is where knowing God comes in handy, because you've got to discern a little bit. You can't just, like, pray... Here's an example. If you have a job, and it's a good job, and then you get an offer for a new job somewhere, you can't be like, God, give me a sign 
of what I'm supposed to do. Do I take the new job or do I stay in my current job and walk outside and see two raccoons and go, that's my sign. I saw two raccoons. That is now my sign to take a new job. Two raccoons has nothing to do with what you prayed about, like at all. You have to have discernment. Yes. Yeah. And you have to be careful with superstitions. Now, I will say, I am a huge sports fan, as I have already talked about. And as sports fans, we sometimes have dumb little superstitions that we do because we think it will help our team win in some way or another. For instance, last week I got dressed in the dark because my wife was sleeping and I'm trying to get out and get here to church to practice. So I'm getting dressed in the dark, got my brand new Cleveland Browns underwear. This may be a bit too much information. I'm sorry, everybody. I get home that evening after the Browns pull off a miracle win against the San Francisco 49ers, and I realize my underwear is on backwards. So I text John Howe, who is one of my best friends and fellow Browns fan, and said, man, weirdest thing. Don't know how this happened. Got dressed in the dark. My underwear was on backwards all day. Now I'm worried if I have to do that all season long. You know what his response was? I think you already know the answer to that question. I may or may not be wearing my underwear backwards right now. Listen, in the words of the great Michael Scott, I'm not superstitious, but I'm a little stitious. Now that's all good and fun because I have done these superstitions and the Browns have lost again and again and again. So I know that superstitions do not actually do anything. But when asking for a sign, you have to discern and you have to know God because you have to be careful not to get superstitious and think that your two raccoons that you saw run across your driveway is the answer to your prayer. And if anybody, I'm just going to caveat, I don't know if anybody has ever like thought that that was their answer and it was two raccoons, like I'm not knocking that by any means, but you got to rethink your prayers. (laughs) But you got to know God. You got to know God to understand what's a superstition and what's a sign. Because you know what? Sometimes it's a billboard. Sometimes it's on your dash light. Sometimes it's a guy on the side of the road, but you see God's relationship with you is personal. He appeared to Gideon as an angel. To others, he was a voice from above. To others, he was as a man. To Moses, he was as a burning bush. To others, a still, small, quiet voice. Each person he appeared to and spoke to differently and personally. You have to know him. Time for another big drink as we move into Gideon. Next part of the story, Judges chapter 7. I almost said Gideon 7. It keeps saying it right here. Judges chapter 7. If you already have your Bible, just sleep. Gosh, he's so happy. Okay, somebody's somebody's stealing my thunder. Chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Early in the morning, Jerubbaal, which was his new name given to him, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands, in order that the Israel may not boast against me, that her own strength has saved her. Announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. 
But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will sift them for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. If I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths and all the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I go to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Beth Shita toward Zerira, as far as the border of Abel Mahola, near Tabith. Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh were called out, and they pursued the Midianites. Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them as far as beth Bera. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they took the waters of the Jordan as far as beth Bera. They also captured two of the Midianite leaders, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the Rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued the Midianites and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon, who was by the Jordan. Now, I'm not going to go way further into that story, but that story gets even crazier as they literally slaughter all of the rest of the Midianites. And as Gideon is pursuing them with his 300 men, he asks for help from people who do not help him. And he comes back and says, well, I'm going to kill you. And he becomes a pretty bad dude and leads Israel. We go from the man who was so scared, so worried, asking for signs that with God on his side, defeats the Midianites Later, he's got a bunch of kids. He names one of his kids Abimelech, which literally means my dad is the king. That's like me naming my son, my dad is the pastor. Like, 
He was just like, yeah, that's who I am now. Once Gideon knew, he didn't look back. Once he knew exactly where God said to go, he conquered it. And that God wanted to prove it was his victory. So I want you to get this picture in your mind of what this looked like and how it looked. He gets all the people together, all of the soldiers. There were 32,000 of them, okay? If you read on later, it tells you, it says in there, there were so many, they were like swarms of locusts, the Midianites. There were more camels than sands on the seashore. It gives an exact number later that there were 135,000. So he had 32,000 soldiers with him against 135,000. Already amazing to win that. But God says, you know what? I know Israel and I know your pride and I know what will happen. You will think, look at what we did. Now look at what God did. Look what we did. So he says, tell anybody who's scared. Rightfully so. 32,000 versus 135,000. I admittedly would probably be one of those like, yes, man, you're on your own. Because you're going on a suicide mission right now. So 22,000 leave. 10,000. So now you've got 10,000 versus 135,000. Also, huge. That would be one of those, like, amazing victories. But God says, I still know you. And I don't want you to think you did this on your own. So he cuts it to 300. 300. There was a movie that came out in the mid-2000s called 300 about the Spartans' last stand at Thermopylae, King Leonidas. It's been written about. It's been a comic book. It's been a movie. It's an historical record. It's listed as one of the greatest battles. It's listed in stories of warfare, strategy. And it's talked about the 300 Spartans that stood against the Persians, but they lost. And it wasn't just 300 Spartans. It's a great movie. It's cool to watch. However, there were actually 700 thespians with them and several other Greeks fighting alongside of them. So their total was well over a thousand people in that particular fight. And they ended up losing. Here we have exactly 300. Actually, I think it's 300 plus one because Gideon counts as one and then knocked them all down to 300. So 301 versus 135,000. And they didn't lose. They won their battle. If there was ever a time, ever, for someone to be questioning God and wonder, it would be when you're sending 300 people against 135,000. That's about the time where I'd be like, that's when I would be fleecing. I'd throw five fleeces out and I'd be like, I want dry, wet, dry, wet, dry, wet. I want, give me everything right now because I got to know God. But Gideon didn't do that. No. Once he knew, he knew. In fact, God even reassures him. And there's no record of Gideon asking for this reassurance, though, wouldn't blame him if he did. But God says to him, go down to the camp and listen. And the Midianites are talking about Gideon the way the angel of the Lord talked about Gideon. The angel of the Lord called him a mighty man of valor, and he's terrified. Yet the Midianites are like, this can only be Gideon, the son of Joash, and his sword coming in to destroy us. 
his enemy even knew what God was going to do. So then Gideon got all his men together and he said, let's do this. And they played the greatest trumpet sound I have ever probably heard talked about. Ken's probably like, man, I wish I was blowing that trumpet there with him. (laughs) This, when I said of our four lessons that we were going to talk about, when God was doing it all along. You may say, okay, Ryan, that's great. But how does this story apply to me? Go back and look at the things I said we talked about. It's being close to God, knowing him, knowing his voice, knowing your direction. When you think you can't do something, it's probably God all along. Dwayne used an illustration last week of a baby trying to climb up onto a couch and the parent just walks by and pats him up and they're like, yeah! It's probably God all along. A couple years ago, Ben, Pastor Ben, called me up. And he said, Ryan, you gave a particular sermon and I realize I'm supposed to do something that God's been calling me to do. And he said, I'm going to lead a worship night at our church. I'm going to bring it to church leadership, and we're going to do this worship night. And I was like, that's awesome, man. And we talked every day for a month, probably. Am I wrong? Like, it was quite a bit. Him and I talked about it just this past week, because I was like, dude, I want to tell this story. Like, you got to remind me of it, because it was a couple years ago. We still had the text messages we sent each other leading up to that. And he told me his vision for this worship night, a spontaneous baptism. It's what he said. He said, I see worship being led, and I see spontaneous baptism. So I said, all right, let's do it. And all the church leaders, we got together and we planned this worship night, and we kept it very fluid to let God take control of what we were going to do. And we had a worship practice where a lot of us were here practicing. We even brought in a ringer keyboard player. I think he was a ringer. I don't know him. But he was a great keyboard player. Brought him in to play keys. We had several guitar players. We had several singers. I was on bass. We had all these people. And then people started getting sick. That was Sunday night. The worship night was Friday. Two days later, my grandma passed. One of our guitar players got COVID. My wife got COVID. I got COVID. I think we were left with three, maybe, tell me, three of the original people that were here at that practice left for Friday night. I got here Friday I wasn't sick yet. Got here Friday, set up the stage, set up the lights. I filled the water in the baptism. And all week long, I kept telling Ben, dude, you're Gideon. Because he kept asking, am I supposed to do this? I don't know. I'm like, I don't know if God's telling me to do this. I'm losing people left and right. I said, I want you to go home and I want you to read Judges. I want you to read Judges 6 and 7. Read the story of Gideon and come back to me. Because Gideon lost everybody. And he was down to 300 men left. And he said, yeah, I feel like Gideon because I'm not sure this is what God wants me to do and I'm losing all of my team. That night, I had to stay home. I was sick. A lot of us were sick. (laughs) We didn't have our sound crew that was supposed to be here. We didn't have half the band that was supposed to be here. Half of the families that were going to be coming were sick. It was bare bones. But you know what? Ben told me the story. I text him. My actual text message, I think I screenshot it, but I don't even need to read it because I memorized it. I said, how did it go tonight? And he said, Gideon's heading home. 
And he said, you know what? It was a spontaneous baptism, and it made everything worth it. I also learned that that night Ben was playing guitar, had to unrig all of his stuff, change his clothes, get in the water, baptize somebody, get out of the water, change his clothes, put all of his gear back on, and continue leading worship. Now, Ben did a great job that night, and Ben was obedient, but that night was because of God. So as we turn a corner tonight, today, still morning, I'm going to close us out and talk about how you can view this personally. I said there were four lessons we were going to learn. When you think you can't do something, why you should use your weapon, asking for a sign, and when it was God all along. You could find yourself in all four of these, in one of these, two of these, three of these, whatever. I want you to view this personally. View this as a lens through your life. And I'm also going to speak as a perspective of us as individuals and us as a church. Right now, we're going back to the basics. We're doing this Bible study unit to know God, to personally know him. And as a church, we're doing this. And if you aren't doing it on your own, start doing it. As I was in the back earlier, I have in my ears what goes on in here beforehand. And I heard Dwayne talk about the book that Mama G is going to have people reading and talking about us being spiritually attacked. And I talked about it in one of our last small groups. My wife and I's best friend once said to us, you know, I haven't been in my Bible lately and I need to get back into it but I'm scared because everything's going good right now. And I know as soon as I take that jump, the enemy might be after me. We're looking at what we're going to do next. What is our plan? Where do I go? What do you do? What do we do? I'm going to tell you our goal as a church is not just to be here Sundays and do this for people to feel good. We have a mission. We have a purpose. How are we going to do it? What are we going to do next? Where are we going? If you're asking these things in your life, ask God to show you. Don't ask for signs and wonders like superstitions. Ask God to show you what he wants. As a church, we're going to be doing the same thing. And then remember, it was God all along. When you felt like you couldn't do that next step, when you felt like you couldn't do something, it was God all along. I was in a conversation with Ben this week as we were he, relaying our, that old story to each other, and I got a hook for this message that I did not know was going to be the hook for this message But I have to do something first. Okay. There are 35 people in this room, not counting babies. Not that babies don't count, but like I'm counting heads I can see babies are laying down. So 35 people in this room, 37 with babies. We talked about Gideon. He had 32,000 soldiers. And God said to him, no, I don't want Israel thinking they can do this. If you look at other churches, if you see a church, we all know there's plenty of churches across the country. There's churches in our area that have thousands of people that attend. If you see a church of thousands of people pack meals for kids in other countries, that's awesome, and you think it's great. If you see a church of 3,000 people bring Jesus to people in the community and homeless shelters, that's awesome. When you see a church of 3,000 people host events, see people saved and provide for others, that's awesome and expected. 
You see a mega church doing something, you're like, yeah, you better be doing something. You have 3,000 people. You see a church of 300 people doing something, and you're like, wow, that's impressive. Okay. Look at what they're putting together. I like that. When you have a church of 35 people pack thousands of meals for kids in other countries, that's God. When you see a church of 35 people bring Jesus to the community and shelters, that's God. When you see a small church not thinking about, well, we're a small church, so we can't do these things, that's God. This is when it was God all along. Now, I'm talking about it from a church perspective, but I want you to put it into your own life too. What is it that you're trying to do on your own? What is it that you personally are trying to do with 32,000 soldiers, but God says, no, let me take this. You send those other soldiers home. This is you and me now. I encourage you. The rest of the story of Gideon is awesome. Read it. Go back through this week. Now that we've dissected it a little bit more, Read this again. Put yourself in there. Put yourself as Gideon. Go back through and read this story of Gideon. You are now Gideon. And whatever you're facing right now, whatever decision you're trying to make, whatever you're trying to look at, that's the Midianites. Put yourself in this story. Read it through this week. If you have to, ask God for direction. Now, if some of y'all start sending me texts in the middle of the week of wet fleeces and dry blankets that you picked up from outside, we're going to talk about it and I'm going to find out what's going on. But ask God for those signs. Ask him to show you where we're supposed to go next, what you're supposed to do next. It's okay to ask for signs of guidance, but not to prove who he is to you. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you so much. God, like Gideon, when he asked who you were, please, God, prove this to me, you didn't strike him down. You didn't say, no, you unfaithful heathen. I'm not going to do that. No, you proved who you were. You revealed yourself to Gideon, and then he knew you. And he knew your voice. And he knew when you spoke that it was from you. And then when he wanted to know where he was going to go, God, you told him, yes, I am with you. This is what we are doing. God, I pray right now for our church, those who are here, those who are listening later, I pray, God, that we all have that knowledge of you, of who you are. With everybody praying, is there anybody here today that does not have that? That they say, you know what? I don't know. I don't know God. I don't know his voice. I don't know who he is. And I need that. We're going to pray real quick on that. And I'm also going to pray for anybody who watches this later that may need this. We're going to say, God, right now, I'm sorry because I don't know you. And I want to. Lord, I've heard who you are, and I want to know you now. Jesus Christ is your son. He came to this earth. He sacrificed himself and died on the cross. But he didn't stay there and he rose again. God, I see that and I accept that. Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sins as I want to walk with you and know you. Now everybody continue praying. Now that we've had that altar set on fire and we move to the next stage, I'm not going to ask for hands raised. I'm not going to ask for anything else right now. I'm just going to say pray with me.
for wherever you're at, whatever it is that you need that sign on, whatever it is that you need that direction on, pray with me. Lord, I know you, and I know your voice. I pray, God, the decision that I have to make, the decision that I have in front of me, Lord, reveal to me. Show me, God, with your guidance, with your direction, the path that you have before me. Help me to know what it is I'm supposed to do next. And show me, whether it's a sign, whether it's a nudge, whether it's a voice, show me that, God. And God, if it's not a God decision, if it's a like, because there are times where God will tell us, and you say, Lord, I don't care, you do whichever one you want. This is not a right or wrong, a God or not God. This is a, I'm letting you make this decision and this is for you. Then let me know that. Give me that peace to know I can make that decision and I can walk in that because God has given me the power and authority to make these decisions. And then God, if it's something that you want, reveal it to us. Lead us in that direction. Individually, in our lives, and as a church, God, lead us in that. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for everything that you do. God, you are amazing and holy. We just worship you and thank you, God. We give you all glory and honor. In Jesus' name, we pray. I'm going to tell everybody, if you got things that start happening now, God start leading you in different ways, you start to see little nudges and signs. I want to hear about it. Let us know. Tell us. Send us a message. Come and find me on a Sunday. I'm usually running all over the place, but I want to know about it. I want to know about it so we can give God glory for it. And we can praise God and thank him for that. Thank you guys for being here. Hope you have a great rest of your day. See you.